Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nada, naught, nil, zip, zilch, zero, whatever you want to call it, it's hard to imagine life and the world without it. Because zero is the basis for all modern computing and engineering. Without it, there'd be no trigonometry, no algebra, no binary code. So it's fair to say it is pretty important. But despite how integral it is to our lives now, that wasn't always the case. There was once a time when zero never existed. You're listening to Patented, a podcast about the history of inventions from History Hit. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell, and I'm delighted today to say that I'm joined by statistician, author, comedian, Tamandra Harkness, who's going to take us back 1,500 years to the invention of zero as a mathematical concept. Stay tuned to hear how it was discovered, the impact it had, and if we could possibly imagine a world without zero today. Tamandra, welcome to the podcast. Podcast? Podcast. Is that why we're sitting in a barrel? I did wonder. Yeah. Hey, this is my first podcast, actually, in 3D, in the flesh. Really? Yeah. Excellent. Oh, I feel very honoured. I should tell the audience that Tamandra is sitting on my sofa. It's a very nice sofa. It's a nice sofa, isn't it? There's half an egg sandwich there if you, uh, want, and if you a get cramp, hungry. And a crumb, at least. to see you again. I don't really understand this invention, because I've been trying to get my brain around it, and I don't understand how you can invent nothing or invent zero I like how is that an invention in the first place presumably there's always been nothing okay here's what i don't understand the difference between there not being something is that what we're talking about or are we talking about just the round zero yeah i think you've put your finger on it that there's always been nothing in the sense that we've always known there's been nothing yeah you could always have said well how many apples have you got to yeah. give me two apples okay now i have no apples and we managed just with that for a surprisingly long time. Because now you think, well, obviously, we've always had zero as one of the numbers, zero to nine. But no, actually, we managed without zero till about the sixth century AD, when the Indians, who were really hot on mathematics, as they have been a lot of the time, went, hmm, well, we've got this system of counting by putting numbers in columns so that you can multiply a number by 10 by moving it across a column. And we need something to show that a column is empty. And we've got this thing that's been in use for thousands of years. I think the Babylonians had that. But the Indians went, oh, no, but we've actually got this symbol called sunya, which just means emptiness or void. And we're going to put that in to show that column's empty. But what if we treat that like a number, like one or two or three, and do the same things with it that we would do with numbers? So add it to numbers or multiply numbers by it and things like that what happens then and that was the change because before then babylonians thousands of years bc had a system of counting that used columns and they had a little mark that they'd put in to say no this column's empty you start here with the tens or whatever but it was the indians who first went but we got this symbol what if we treat it like a number 
What happens if you multiply things by it? What happens if you add it to numbers? What happens if you divide things by it? And, you know, they really got their heads twisted with that one because that's still an issue. It started to appear in Indian mathematical texts in, say, in about the 6th century. And that was where they were starting to try and explain what you do. And it was like, well, if you add nothing to two, you still get two. And if you take nothing away from two, you still get two. And if you multiply any other number by nothing, by zero, then you get zero. So they're kind of working it out as they go. But we don't actually know who first came up with the idea. Because there were some great mathematicians in India. It could have been one of them just sat there and went, I've just had this amazing idea. What if we treat this funny little nothing symbol as a number, and yet it's also nothing? So it's a number and it's nothing. Where does that take us? Before we go on, I want to sort of back up a little bit, and I want to ask you, why is zero important? Let's talk about the modern world before we go back in time. Like, why do we need nothing? Zero. Well, most of the modern world would be impossible without it. Maybe this would be the solution to all of our world problems. Maybe just get rid of zero zero and see what happens as an experiment. Well, you know, I was thinking about all the things that zero makes possible. So computers, obviously, I mean, we're recording this on a digital recorder that works with ones and zeros. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes it work is the difference between one and zero, the difference between a something and a nothing. Yeah. So if you didn't have zeros, you couldn't have that because it would be ones all the way down. Couldn't That's even... my world. That's the world I want to live in. <laughs> I read an interesting paper. A world actually. free of mathematics <laughs> exactly. at last. I, I read a thing talking about they had a bit of computer memory and they wanted to know, is it heavier when someone had put ones and zeros on it, as in recorded something on it? And? I can't remember now. I think it was a bit heavier, but not very much. It was such an odd idea. Right, because we think of these things as abstract, I but know. of course, somewhere there's a physical object that's, that's still in that it. paper? No. I think I heard about it. Okay, so why do we need zero in the modern world? Because... Well, computers, computers obviously, but binary. also... Binary, but also a lot of modern maths relies on having zero as one of the numerals and being able to treat it like a numeral. So you couldn't have, brace yourself, I'm going to use a mathematical term here, you couldn't have calculus, which is basically the study of rates of change. Mm. So, but I was thinking about this thinking, well, there's lots of things you couldn't do. You couldn't calculate the trajectory of weapons. Yeah, that actually, that would be quite good if we couldn't do that, wouldn't it? And without zero, you couldn't have negative numbers. It's a good sort of dividing line between positive and negative numbers, I've noticed. (laughs) It's quite kind of in the middle. It It looks quite nice. Exactly. So you couldn't have negative numbers, so you couldn't have death. Well, why can't you just go from one straight to minus one? Well, interestingly, of course, that's what they did in the original Christian calendar. You had one BC, you had two BC, one BC, Mm. one AD. Classic. And straight on yeah. with no zero. Yeah. And this meant that in medieval times, in about the 10th century, when the idea of zero, thanks to the Arabs and the Islamic scholars, had made its way from India with the other so-called Arabic numerals, actually Indian numerals. Okay. So it finally got to medieval Europe. And there was a lot of suspicion of the Arabic numerals generally, but especially of zero, because it's like, well, what's this? It's like, we don't need a number between minus one and one. And you can't have nothing because that's actually blasphemous because God is everywhere. And if there was nothing, then God wouldn't be there. God, and God, God is everywhere. He is everywhere. He so we can't, God, we can't have it. Zero is the devil. Yes, and they really were. There are rumours there were riots against zero in medieval Florence. I've not been able to verify that, <laughs> but it's a lovely idea. Maybe I'm going to quote you on that and just and just cite Harkness. Because <laughs> I, like exactly, I just like the idea of 
<laughs> Zero riots. Well, Definitely. people like Roger Bacon, we would discuss in the Middle Ages, these sort of proto-scientists of that sort of period who were grappling with this new mathematics, this new science that was coming from the Far East and it all getting very mixed up with the religion of the day and witchcraft, not witchcraft, but sort of the alchemists yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation. Yeah. So the church is like, don't come in here with all your new ideas. And I think zero was mixed up in that. But all of those things like the calculations of astronomy and so on, all of those things you do need zero for. If you think of the most basic graph, like you were saying about, it's the dividing line, it's the limit between the positive numbers, the negative numbers. So all those basic graphs you used mm. to draw at school, position, Descartes, Cartesian positions, you can't do those without zero. I mean, you can't really have a number line without I zero. Just, I was just sort of doodling. <laughs> Actually, how did you write like 40? I mean, right. zeros are good for that, for showing that it's bigger than four. And 400 is bigger than... Well, they 40. used Roman numerals, you see, yeah, which guess, is basically a glorified tally system. You said yeah. XXXX, or no, it'd be one, whatever. So there's no zero, is there, is. No, is there, there's no, there's zero. no zero in Roman numerals, you see. Interesting. The Arabic numerals, including zero, really did let them do maths in a much more efficient way. But it also opened the door to these other things mm. that you could do with a different kind of mathematics. And it turned out they were things you needed. And this is where the Islamic scholars were absolutely crucial. And Islamic scholars were brilliant about this. They just kind of brought in all the good stuff they found in the parts of the world where there were Arabic scholars and Islamic rulers and went, well, this is useful. We can use this. So they got the Indian numerals and ideas and went, this is perfect for trade, but also calculation, astronomy, big in astronomy. And then they brought it to medieval Europe where we get the word algorithm and orgrim. They had this word orgrim, which is all a corruption of the Arabic scholar. I'm never sure how to say it. Al-Khwarizmi? That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always interested in why things happen in particular places in particular times. So what was it about that particular part of the world, the Arabic part of the world, that made them so interested in maths, so good at maths? Why were they borrowing from India? What had happened? It was partly... Things like international trade and long-distance communication, because they were moving things as well as people and ideas around large parts of the world. And for trade, you do need ideas like somebody owes me money. It's like I've shipped this stuff across the world for somebody and now they owe me this much money, which is, you know, the idea of negative numbers, essentially. Mm. It's like, how much money have you got? Well, I've got minus five dinars because I owe them to... Al Khwarizmi, who's bringing me this great new mask. That's what I mean. People must have always had that. You must have always owed five dinars to algorithm somebody. So that concept of zero must have always been there. That's the thing. Well, in the sense that you had amounts of stuff and you could owe somebody stuff. Yes, obviously you had that. And the idea that you had no stuff. Mm. Yes. But the idea that zero sits on this line of numbers that go up and go down and that you can treat it as if it is a number. That was quite revolutionary. And that brought in things like being able to study curves and trajectories and speed, which is essential to astronomy. And, yeah. you know, the Islamic scholars were really big on astronomy. And also on things like curves and movements. So this is why I said about the trajectories of weapons and cannonballs, which is all very important in medieval and Renaissance Europe although maybe the world would be better off without. But that then made possible a lot of much more advanced mathematics. Well, this is the thing, you know, when we think about this 
origins of science, we tend to think about Europe. We think of Italy and we think of Copernicus and we think of Galileo and Newton and yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be back after the short break. So when did that some mathematics from the Islamic world kind of come to Europe properly? When did people sort of really take it on board and go, actually, that's pretty good. This isn't some heretical thing. It's actually really useful. It was quite slow, actually. I think zero pops up in the Islamic world in about the 8th century. I think they found it in Baghdad in 773 AD by the Christian calendar. Yeah, how do we even know this? Because this was the glorious age in Baghdad of yeah. lots of mathematical scholars and other scholars who were writing things down, who were collecting knowledge from all over the world, from philosophy and mathematics and everything, and putting it together and writing it down. And thankfully, we have those records. And then in southern Spain, that was a great haven of international knowledge and scholars of different religions all working together. So it probably came into... Italy through the trades across the Mediterranean, Venice was quite strong on it. But it was quite slow before it was widely taken up. And there was almost like a specialist cadre of not even necessarily mathematicians, but bookkeepers, people who were adept with the new numbers, the new Arabic numbers, and therefore could just do calculations much more quickly. It was Fibonacci who first wrote it down. He of the sequence. He of the sequence, exactly. And he first introduced zero in a book that he published in 1202 AD. But it was still quite slow to catch on, although there were rumours that Merchants in Northern Europe would try and send one of their sons to Italy to study with the people using the new numerals so that they could come back and do this really quick maths. But then among people who didn't have this education, there was a lot of suspicion because it's like you can't understand what people are doing. Then it's quite hard to trust it and to know that you give somebody some numbers and they come back and they say, oh, this costs this much or you owe me this. And you can't understand the workings, which I mean, is obviously something we still get today when either somebody does some maths and you go, OK, I didn't follow that. Or they put it in a computer and go tap, tap, tap and say, well, the computer says you owe me £700. And you go... Computer says no. Does it? Computer says zero. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In my mind, we've always just had standard maths. This is the way that we do things. The idea that you'd have people doing maths, not just doing different calculations, but a completely different set of numbers, a different set of symbols. It's just so counterintuitive. And I know. You don't think of zero as something that could no. ever have been invented. You just was feel it always like just, it's always there. I want to ask you about the shape as well, because presumably, like, oh, I've got a brilliant idea for a number. What is it? Okay, you know when you don't have anything? Yeah. Let's write that down. And you'd be like, what? What, what are you talking about? Well, I'm just imagining being an Indian. I'm thinking I've just had this kind of revolutionary idea like, well, why don't we have that idea of nothing as a sort of symbol and what's it going to look like? What would you draw? Could you draw a nice picture of a I think what actually happened was it slightly went the other way around that they already had a symbol that said there's nothing in this column, basically. And it was either a little dot or a circle. So, so that was already there. So and that went back, well, as you know, the Babylonians had a different symbol that looked like two sticks with triangles on the end. But it was, again, it was a symbol that just said, nothing to see here, move on to the next column. And in India, the symbol was a circle or a little dot. And so that was already there. The great change was, and I think often inventions kind of start this way, don't they? That something is already there, but you see it in a different way and yeah. think about using it 
in a different way. So let's, instead of just using this to say, there's nothing here, use it to say, there's nothing here. There's a thing that's called nothing. And there is a theory, I don't know how much I buy this, but it's a theory that the reason it arose in India was that their cosmology and their religious beliefs had an idea of nothingness and the void that was kind of cohabited with something. So their idea of the universe was not that it was absolutely chock full of substance and God is everywhere. Their idea of the universe is you've got stuff and non-stuff and they kind of coexist in perfect harmony. And therefore the idea for them that nothing is a thing was quite harmonious. Yeah, I can buy that. I don't think someone in the bath suddenly going, holy eureka, it wasn't that. It was the difference between invention and innovation, I think, isn't it? Innovation whereby you take something that perhaps already exists and you start to mould it and work with it and changes perhaps. In a way, yes. But in another way, I think that thinking about this symbol in a new way gave it a new meaning. That literally the symbol before that just meant there is nothing here, as in there is nothing of any meaning in this space. The only reason this symbol is here is to tell you to move on quickly, is to change the meaning of all the things to the left of it, which thereby become bigger. But when you started to say, no, this symbol actually has a meaning in itself, it means nothing, but it's the same status as the other numerals, then that just enabled you to do lots of things. I mean, it's a bit like when they started to say, let's have negative numbers that are just the same numbers, but they mean minus. And a lot of people went, well, no, how can you have minus three apples? There's some joke, isn't there, about... So if four people go into a room and then seven people come out, how many people need to go in for the room to be empty? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. See, it makes no sense. But then people found that by having that as a mathematical idea, you could do lots of things that you couldn't Mm. do before. And even they came up with the idea of the square root of minus one, which by definition can't exist as a real number... Mm. But they went, but let's imagine it does exist. What does that enable us to do? And they found that suddenly they could do lots of maths that wasn't possible and that somehow relates to the real physical world. And that was, I think, the same sort of thing with zero. They went, oh, actually, look, if we treat this like a number and we put it into the same things we were doing with actual numbers, then suddenly we can do loads of things in maths that we couldn't do before. Whereas in Europe, I think, it was much more, actually, this enables us to do things practically that we needed to do. What do you think that sort of that sort of European scientific revolution of the 1600s, I suppose, did that happen because of they suddenly got this tool, they're all sitting around twiddling their thumbs, and then suddenly Tarko Brahe and Copernicus and all those people I get confused about. I went, here, guys, I found this, this thing called zero. Yeah, now we can do all these elliptical orbits, we can look at the cosmology properly and do proper maths. And... In a way, yes. I mean, I wouldn't claim that zero is the only thing that made it happen. But zero made it possible. Yeah, I don't think you could calculate orbits and so on without having zero. Who's the orbit guy? What's his name? Pernicus? No, the other one. Kepler. Kepler, thank you. Kepler, that's what I was thinking. I mean, you definitely need a zero if you're Kepler. Like, if you want to work out... Yeah, exactly. So there's curves and trajectories, speeds, gravity. You need the idea of zero. Mm. So... In some ways, this thing that in India maybe almost had a mystical meaning Mm. then became practical. And then the Arab scholars went, oh, look, if we think of maths this way, we can do all these things. And then they brought it to Europe and the Europeans went, oh, well, if you're doing this. And I think the Islamic scholars were quite well on with, I don't know about 
all bits, but they were quite well on with astronomy. No, they were. But then now we can do all this and turn it to these practical uses. So definitely, I think it's a, that's why I think it's such a great example of an invention because it started off with just seeing a familiar tool in a new way. And then you realise that actually that changes far more than you ever were able to imagine as one person when you put it in different contexts. It's quite an abstract invention as inventions go. I suppose it's a bit like infinity. Like, did someone invent infinity as a... Well, infinity isn't a number, but it's a concept. It's in a way the that... kind of evil twin of zero, though, isn't it? Infinity. Or the good twin, depending on which one you see as... I don't know. Or they're both twins, but they're the opposite of each other. Well, yeah, yeah. because you all these things like the reason why it drives you insane if you try and divide things by zero is that effectively the answer is infinity. Yeah, I struggle with infinity. Exactly. And zero is the same. If you think of zero as just, oh, this means nothing is here, that's quite okay. But when you start doing maths with it, you can get some really weird answers and infinity the same. And again, I think those things enabled lots of new ways of thinking about maths, which doesn't give you a finite result, doesn't give you a tangible thing, but lets you imaginatively go to things that may or may not physically exist. I like to imagine worlds where the thing that we're talking about doesn't exist or hadn't been existed or whoever invented it didn't exist. And obviously these things get invented by other people, but let's try and imagine a world now with the Indians, the Iraqis, they just missed it completely and we carried on with the Roman numerals. Talk to me about where we're in central London, what would the outside world look like? It's a good question because sometimes you get engineering advances without the theory. So it's possible, I guess, that we would have electricity just by trial and error. But I'm really struggling to think <laughs> it's quite a, how you yeah. would understand and control electricity without the idea of zero because you have a difference of energy and potential and charge. It'd be pretty bleak. It'd be pretty bleak. We wouldn't have any computers. We, we wouldn't, wouldn't be have... doing this. Could we have phones, I guess? No. Again? Could we? Well, no. We couldn't have a phone I like this. Really stru- well, we couldn't have a digital cell Sorry, phone. Sorry, that was my phone that was beeping very well. <laughs> he wanted to join in. It wanted to be mentioned. It was like, I'm here. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm here. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> but I think a lot of things that we regard as quite basic engineering that's very physical would have been almost impossible with Roman numerals yeah. just to understand them and make sense. I mean, sense. the Romans were good engineers, but they didn't invent no. smartphones. And things like that. No, they were good at Colosseums and they, the buildings. They, they, and could, they managed curves. Curves they were good at. They were good at arches. Arches. That sort of thing. They had the wheel. They had very straight roads. Yeah. Maybe that's because they didn't have zeros. So they couldn't go around corners. They had the hypercoursed system. That, exactly. That was... The Romans did manage a certain amount of engineering. So it's possible we would have a lot of the same stuff. It would have just been much slower to calculate. Mm. Would it be possible to have a computer that ran on Roman numerals? Now that's a big question. I guess it's theoretically possible, but it certainly wouldn't be the kind of computers that we have now. Nandos would probably still exist. But it would be called Nands. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Tamandra, thank you for discussing this. It's been a pleasure. There's half an egg sandwich for you if you want. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. If you liked what you heard, make sure, please, that you subscribe to the show as I'm back every Wednesday and Sunday with brand new episodes. See you next time. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive, 
and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code patented at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.